Just a quick editor's note, there's some mild swearing in the episode. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Wan. You're listening to season two of the podcast, where we're going to look at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week, I'm going to talk to a new guest. We're going to talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable Ultimate games, and a fun rapid-fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe or follow on whichever podcast platform you use and get the word out about the podcast to others. You can drop a review on a platform like Apple Podcasts as well. That would be greatly appreciated. Truly appreciate all the support. And new episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Away From Keyboard. AFK is a lifestyle brand that believes in reconnecting with humanity and our planet. Whether that's tossing a disc on the weekends or hanging out by a campfire, they're dedicated to get you to explore and grow in your own backyard. Join the adventure and check out their website at www.awayfromkeyboard.co That's www.awayfromkeyboard.co Now with all that done, let's go. This week's guest is Toli Vasiliev. Toli is a multi-time Russian and Canadian national champion, representing both Team Russia and Team Canada in various world tournaments, as well as being a member of Toronto GOAT and Toronto Rush. In Russia... Toli has won six Russian national championships with Jupiter and Shadows, and he has represented Russia at various world and European events since 2000. In 2019, he was on the Russian mixed team that won gold at the European Championships of Beach Ultimate. Toli has represented Canada at various international events since 2008, including appearances at the 2008 World Championships where they won gold, an alternate for two World Games teams in 2013 and 2017, as well as a third-place finish at the 2012 World Ultimate and Guts Championships. At the club level, Toli has played for GOAT since 2006, winning the Canadian Ultimate Championships in 2015 and 2017, and finishing third at the USA Ultimate National Championships in 2014. He also played for Skogs out of Sweden, where they finished second at the European Ultimate Club Finals in 2014. One of his proudest accomplishments is starting the DISC One for One project, where the crowdfunding campaign brought Ultimate to 2,400 kids in Russia and the Ukraine. He started an apparel company called Flatball Collective for the Ultimate community to wear something off the field in their regular life. Toli currently lives in Vancouver, British Columbia. Here is my interview with Toli Vasiliev. All right, so I'm here with Toli Vasiliev. He's an accomplished ultimate player both in Russia and in Canada. So pretty excited for some of this international flavor again. We're, we're mixing up here on the podcast. So Toli, how are you doing all the way from Vancouver, British Columbia? Hey, uh, good to be here. Thank you for, for the call. I'm uh, pretty excited to be uh, on your podcast. I've been a fan. Toli is one of the passionate listeners, so do appreciate that. He does tell me when he listens to one, so uh, it's good stuff. So, Tolly, we're going to start right away with your career. How did you get started? It kind of goes all the way back there to 1999, so a long time you've been playing this sport. How did it all start for you? 
like for most people all around the world, it's you are looking for a new, uh, exciting thing to do. And uh, usually for most people, it's athletics. Some people, it's arts. And I just finished training for boxing and soccer. And I was, we were just playing some uh, good stuff uh, in the backyard, um, kicking some ball. And then some foreigners showed up and they started promoting this new fancy game called Ultimate Frisbee. Yeah, that was my first introduction. And then we came to a couple of practices. Turned out they were like, they were on tour around Eastern Europe promoting the sport. And we were just one of their stops. And that was the beginning. And were they like on a notable American or Canadian club team at all? Do you know? Were they like big time club players or they were just kind of people just promoting the sport? So back in the day, like in the 90s, uh, Sweden and Finland uh, were actually were big on the international level. There were some teams, like a team called Skoksiden from Sweden or Skoksuden. They will hate me. I probably butchered their name. Yeah. The funny thing is that I played on their team. We just call it Skoks. We'll just call it Skogs for the podcast, totally. It's okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, friends. And uh, Liquidius. They even, I think, played in the finals, finals of World Championships in like the 90s. Uh, so they were really, really good. And they would, they would have like 10, 12 players on the roster playing the entire tournament and then going to the finals and losing on double game point. So that shows you how good they were. So the group that came to Russia were actually... Like some of them were an inter- um, national players from Sweden and Finland. So yeah, they were big names in their own right. Yeah, because there are there have been tours, as you've heard of, from other teams like Seattle Sockeye, for example, that's come to Russia, actually in other countries. Other club teams have done that as well. So it's pretty cool to see how different players and organizations are trying to bring the sport around the world. I think it's very important to mention this one name. Or maybe even two. So one is George Fedorov. This is the guy who was the father of Ultimate in Russia. I mean, he deserves a shout out. And the most important person for not just Russia, but the entire Eastern Europe is Paul Erickson. He's like an amazing human being who lives in Stockholm. And he dedicated his life to promoting Ultimate and bringing it to youth in Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus, Ukraine, Russia, and many, many other countries. And so he would crowdfund uh, money for those uh, trips, get some good people together, and then go travel and promote the sport. So yeah, huge uh, shout out to that guy. So when you're at like the European Ultimate Championships and you see all these countries there, does that remind you of him then? That his influence probably when those kids, those players were youth, just growing up in the scene there, does that kind of remind you of him when you see that? So to answer your question, yes. When I look at uh, other teams, especially like younger teams, juniors, U24s. I wonder if they realize how much work has been done by people like Paul Erickson, who dedicated their life to promoting the sport. And now these guys are playing and enjoying it and have all this passion for the sport, thanks to the work that has been done by by other people. And the country and the ultimate community at large is definitely a benefactor of that. So that's really cool to see how the sport can multiply around the world. And back to your career there. So you learn about the sport. How did you get your first experience into the club scene? You've won a few championships there in Russia before making your way into the Canadian scene there. So how did you get even started playing club? How did you hear about reaching that next level? What motivated you to get there? So we call it clubs, but back in the day, it was barely 
I don't know, a few fun groups of people tossing the disc and trying to compete. We called it Russian National Championships. So when I joined the team, there were like 15 players total. So there was nobody to choose from. So whoever wants to play, come and join. Somewhat athletic, somewhat competitive, which was very important because in Russia, soccer is the biggest sport. And when people play soccer, it's all getting super aggro and not even with your opponent, but sometimes with your own teammates. So you have to be tough. You have to be super competitive. And so people who would come from such backgrounds like soccer would join frisbee teams. So you all those ultimate games would also be super heated. So the first year I started playing, I immediately played on, on the team and we were competing at Russian uh, national championships. My experience, like the next year, again, there were not enough players who wanted to go and play internationally. And there was world championships uh, happening in Germany in Heilbronn in 2000. And only just, just after playing for like a year and a half, I was on the national team. I was still, I think, like 18 or 19. But yeah, there were not enough players. And yeah, I made the team. Very lucky. I bet there's a few listening in the audience there, totally that wish that they could just walk on to their own national team there. Now there's tryouts. There's a whole process. So you definitely lucked out there. Makes the sport more competitive, challenging, and people not just play to be cool, but people actually want to compete. They want to get better. They want to improve all aspects of their game. It's not just like learning how to throw flick. No, you have to learn how to cut, how to think, how to train. So the game is evolving and it's so fun to see. I mean, I've been playing for a while, but in the grand scheme, the grand scheme of things, this is so quickly how sport evolved like for me from my perspective from just tossing with a few dudes to playing on the national level with like 2000 people attending and competing you talked about the evolution a little bit of ultimate so let's talk about the evolution of your career there and also russian ultimate what did you see in your time in russia before you made your way to canada there we'll get to that later but what did you see in your time in your development as a player but also the country as a whole because Russia has now been very successful on the world stage. When I was still playing in Russia, the sport was evolving slowly. There were definitely some people to thank for that. People who would organize those training camps with Sockeye and some revolver players and some Boston uh, Ironside players. Uh, everybody in, you know, on Sockeye knows Kate because, I mean, she used to bombard them with emails and phone calls and trying to convince them to come. And thanks to her, people got exposed to like the top, top uh, level players. And they became like role models and people started making them, asking questions because they were open for feedback, not during the camp, but even after people would become friends with them on Instagram and Facebook and try to improve their game and talk to them. And that happened already. That was already happening when I was still in Russia. But when I left, that kind of exploded and there were people going around different schools and promoting the sport. So when I came to visit like a few years later, I wouldn't even recognize the level of ultimate that was uh, played at like on the, on the national level. You see those like kids that I remember five years ago, I saw in throwing their first, first flick. And now they're like the top handler on a uh, women's uh, club team in Russia. So yeah, it's, it's really cool to see how it quickly devolved. And again, there were some people who are not necessarily the best players, who are not necessarily captains or team managers, but they just like, love the sport and they want to help develop it and in 2019 you had a chance to go back and play for for russia there your home country so what was that like winning 
at the beach there in 2019 with Russia. That was pretty surreal. When I first moved to Canada, like a few years ago, I would always dream about putting a team together that could compete on on international uh, level because I knew that there were so many talented people in Russia. And if only they had an opportunity to play like on the top level, we could like prove that we could compete with anybody and that we're some of the top teams and players in the world. I made a couple of attempts and somewhat succeeded a team for a beach tournament called Paganello. Mm-hmm. In Italy, yeah, yeah. That's right. There used to be like the beach world championships for club uh, for club teams. But this time, so that was my creation. Like I was hoping to uh, make that happen. And then this time I just got invited or oh, I got an opportunity to join this team. And it was nothing like I've experienced before uh, playing with Russian teams because every player was so dedicated and so skilled and so talented that I just played my little role and helped help contribute to our victory. But yeah, it was just so, so nice to play with all those uh, talented players from my home country. Right. We were like nobody. I remember when we played our first world, uh, world championships, people would beat us 17 one. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So that was so embarrassing. And so when you would say like, Oh, I play on Russia. Yeah. I, Nobody expected you to do well. And now I can see people scouting us. I could see people watching footage of Russian uh, club teams and national teams uh, play because they want to learn from Russians now. Because there are a bunch of really good coaches in Russia who are doing really well. As we can see, the women's mixed uh, men's teams are performing really well. I'm looking forward to a bright future of uh, Russian and Eastern European ultimate. For sure. And if you want to listen to a past episode there, if you haven't checked it out already, I interviewed Dina Dumanskaya, who was on that team that Toli was on. And she's played for the club team Cosmic Girls out of St. Petersburg. So if you want to check that out, you can check it out in the archive. So Toli, you moved to Canada now. I know we're backpedaling a few years, but you moved to Canada. And so how did you get involved with playing with GOAT? Because that's one of the top teams in Canada, you know, top two, right? With them and Furious. So... How did you get involved with GOAT and playing that high-level ultimate? <laughs> Why I love ultimate so much is how it creates connections between people from all around the world. And you meet people that you would normally never talk to in real life. So like, if, for example, you are into arts and this person is an engineer, like your lives would never cross. But through ultimate, you meet people different generations and different cultural backgrounds. So right after I played Worlds in 2000, I got to play on the junior team in 2002, so the Russian junior team. And we played Canada a couple of times uh, during that tournament. So I made a lot of friends with those Canadian dudes and, uh, and girls and made friends, stayed connected. And later when my life turned, turned, turned around and my, had, my family had to escape from Russia, we were looking where to move next. And then my parents had told me that they were actually considering Canada. And then I remembered that, oh, I have so many friends like through Ultimate that I could reach out to. So in case I go uh, to Canada, I could at least meet some people that I haven't seen for five years, but they might still remember me. Was there Facebook back then or no? Yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> I, I'm just checking. I, 
I, I just don't know when you left, so I just want to make sure you know there was a... I know you're not that old there, Tolly, so... Master's age, maybe, I think, but uh, not Grandmaster's yet, I hope. <laughs> what was grand, Grandmaster's age? 40. 40? No, I'm getting close. <laughs> <laughs> Master's age, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. When I moved there, this is a funny story. You can, you can cut it out, but I just wanted to, wanted to tell you. So, <laughs> when I played on that junior team... I got I got a nickname by the by the by the women's uh, Canadian ju- uh, junior women's team, <laughs> Russian hottie with a naughty body. <laughs> so, when I moved to Canada, so I reached out to this uh, guy named uh, Adam, Adam Melnick. He was the captain of that Canadian team, and then he he uh, played on goat when I moved to Canada. And so I reached out to him, said, "Hey, can I come to practice?" He's like, "Yeah, that's going to be a tryout." So he was at the train station. Uh, it was sort of subway station and he was waiting for me like, there in his car hasn't seen the dude hasn't seen me in five years and two guys who then became like my best friends patrick mooney and scotty nichols were in that car crazy goofballs nice. awesome dudes adam told them that this guy's nickname was russian hottie with a naughty body and so they're sitting in the car and they're like okay where's this crazy russian dude he's probably wearing fur hat like wearing string like a thong and like on rollerblades and like all oiled up and then they see a dude actually on the rollerblades uh, passing by that oh this must be the russian guy and and then uh, then i show up absolutely normal dude not like normal looking that was such a shock for them <laughs> because they had a completely different idea of uh, what the guy behind this nickname uh, was and the funny story is that then i that was my first practice with goat and I showed up and I forgot my cleats. And so I had to like do the tryouts in my running shoes. And I was covering, I don't remember, I think it was actually John, John Hassel. And I managed to stick with him on defense. With the running shoes on. <laughs> exactly. And that, that's what they said. is like, okay, this kid must be decent if he can cover somebody just on his, in his running shoe. So yeah, that's how I got a spot on, on GOAT. And uh, yeah, in 2006. And you've played with GOAT ever since then. That was obviously a big moment for you. And what were some of your favorite memories with GOAT? I know your time with GOAT has been long standing, right? You've done a lot of stuff with them. So why don't you share with the audience some of your favorite memories uh, with that team? I love that it's always been like a, like a family or like a group of really, really, really good friends. Because every time we would go to a tournament and then come back, and that we, sometimes even that night on Sunday night, or the next weekend to celebrate our performance or just to get together, the whole team would go to this one club bar called Supermarket uh, in Toronto. And we would have epic nights. Shit would go down, like when Goat was going out. And that also happened on the road with Rush. And I remember some stories in Brooklyn where we would tear the city down, close the bar, I think. And then in San Francisco and yeah, in so many places, there are some stories that I can't even share with you on podcast, but believe me, they were epic. <laughs> so there are tons of memories with Rush and Goat. I mean, probably the one that some people who are not on Goat and Rush might uh, remember is 2014. We won uh, against uh, Revolver in quarterfinals. Nobody expected that and nobody was even filming uh, that game the universe point got filmed though. I remember that seeing that on Ulti World, which was cool. I remember somebody somebody on our team made a comment that I don't think that I've ever seen Justin Ford go rid of his shirt as fast as he did it after we scored that last point. 
he was like topless in like a split a second. Uh, <laughs> he knew he was going to be on camera. I guess so. Yeah. But yeah, that was kind of like a blur that game. That's why I'm so sad that there's no footage, but at the same time, I'm kind of happy. We, somebody filmed it. I'm <laughs> so grateful to that person who filmed that last point. It kind of makes it even more unique. I remember everybody was on fire. Link, Derek Alexander, Martinez, uh, Mark, and Scotty, and I mean, the whole team. That was a big, big effort by everybody. A lot of scubers. There was a scuba for the win, though, right? So, I mean, that's part of your part of your MO there. That's right. Somehow we just figured out how to break the defense. Yeah, that's probably one of the, the best memories with GOAT. And, and also winning Canadian championships in 2015. That was the first time GOAT won Canadian championships in order to represent Canada the next year, or be the selecting team. Yeah, that was a big thing because usually lose to Furious and also recently lost to Furious for the same, for the same owner. So that was yeah, quite, a, quite a big win in our career. Appreciate you uh, sharing those memories there, Tolly. And what is your career with GOAT? What has it meant to you and sort of your time as an ultimate player? Like, how could you summarize in terms of what it means to you to play on such a successful team and to have them welcome you with open arms, right? As someone from Russia, I'm not sure how much English you knew at the time or uh, what you knew about Canada. So what was that like just kind of being welcomed in by this Toronto club? Well, one thing I can tell you for sure, I knew more about Canada than they did because I was practicing for my test. Uh, and so... Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> but my English was horrible. I could barely communicate. I remember I would take uh, a train to, uh, to practice with one of my teammates and he couldn't even have a conversation with me. That's how bad wow. my English was. And yeah, during games, you know, during some heated moments, I could uh, come up with a new version of uh, English slang or some bad swear words, expressions that were quite uh, quite unique or well, sometimes even swore in russian that was even scarier for my opponents as i mentioned earlier like this is my family all those bros just love them to death so those guys who retired and were like 10 15 years older than me when i started in 2006 7 8 and uh, now i watched all those players join the team and develop not only as players but also as individuals like you watch somebody who was a junior, super shy, introverted, and then he just comes out of well, comes out of his shell. He was perfect the way he was before, but then they change. They become kids. Now they become bros, and now they become dudes. So cool to witness. And I don't think that many other opportunities in life to be able to communicate people from so many different backgrounds and demographics and um, age groups, and not feel like an outcast if you know what i mean so that's that's what i love about ultimate and specifically playing on the toronto uh, goat and and rush uh, those, those are my bros totally some people might not know this but you've lived in vancouver for how long now five years so in those five years you were playing with goat is that correct so you were either traveling for tournaments with them or, or going to practice weekends or so you were still focused on making your mark with GOAT then, is that correct? That is correct. And it's not because I don't want to play on the Vancouver team. I took an advice from uh, one of my old teammates and actually the founder of GOAT, uh, Andy Octoloni. Yeah, Andy O, yeah. Yeah, Andy O. When he moved away to Ottawa, he, I mean, he's still playing on GOAT, right? And 
I don't remember, he moved like in 2012 maybe. And I remember he told me that it actually was the best for his game to move away because he got to the point when he had family, very serious uh, job, and he couldn't dedicate as much time to training with the team. But he's still, he's such a person that he's committed to always improving and always staying in shape. So he would train like crazy, but only for, on his own schedule. And then he would come to tournaments. And so he told me that this is the only way that he is still able to maintain his game level and still compete thanks to that move. And when I moved to Vancouver, I kind of tried that, uh, that approach. And I also still train uh, pretty hard. And if the team still needs me and if I still gel with the, with the guys on the field, like I'm welcome to play. I'm not sure how it's going to be like going forward. Definitely, I'm, I'm happy that uh, the coaches and the team allowed me to play and see some value in me as a player. Yeah, lots of value for sure. Uh, D-line stud there for a GOAT. So, totally in terms of training to get to where you are, what are some things that you had to do purposefully to get to where you are at this level? So, be it, you know, training at the gym or intense film watching or whatever that is, what did you have to do to get your game to the next level from someone who just walked onto the national team as like an 18-year-old in Russia to now being on GOAT and Team Canada teams as well? That's a very good question and a very hard question. I, I'm not even sure. I never thought of it that way. What made me the player I am right now. Or were there people, besides the, the people you shouted out earlier, are there some people that were really influential in your journey? You mentioned Andy O just now. Is there anyone else maybe that helped you get to where you are? I think that in, in general, just love for the sport. Like, not even love, obsession. I think I am... I used to be obsessed with Ultimate. Now I just, I just love it. Big part of my life. But when you were a kid, like you were obsessed with things. So I was obsessed with Ultimate and I was like a sponge. And you would watch people play. You would ask questions and help them improve your flick. And sometimes it looks stupid. Sometimes you come across as a complete um, like fanboy. But who the fuck cares? Like make mistakes, uh, struggle. And then if you if you have a passion and then also if you work hard, it will happen. So I think that's how it worked out for me. I was just super passionate. I would try everything, just throw a lot, watch people people and then try to copy people's styles. I think I have a, I have a background in dancing when I was a kid. And I think that kind of translated because I would watch people style their movement patterns, how they throw, how they run. And I would just try to copy it when I was still a junior or in my 20s. Yeah, I think that helped my, my, my game a lot. And you are also known, I'm not sure if you know this, but you are known for getting some big-time hand blocks. So why don't you give uh, the audience some insight into how you're generating all these hand blocks uh, on defense there? Is that maybe the dancing background as well a little bit, maybe? For sure. Because you got to be uh, very quick on your feet. So that helped for sure. When I cover somebody, I usually watch them. You can even see me when we do warm-ups. Everybody's focused on the throwing and running. I usually, while I'm still waiting in line uh, for be the next one to throw, I usually stare at the opponent. And sometimes you know it's going to be your matchup. And I watch, I watch their release points. What are their, what are their trends? Like how do they like to throw? Do they like to step out? Do they, have to, do they like to have a high release? 
quick release. So I watch all those things. It doesn't mean that you're going to get a hand block that game, but sometimes it works. Sometimes it's like you know that they like to release really close to their foot. And whenever you are marking him, you can kind of anticipate that. I find that I'm staring somewhere in the middle about shoulders, chest uh, of a person and can sort of see where he's leaning towards. If he sits too much on his right foot, that means he's about to throw a flick and he's probably not going back to backhand. So you can overcommit a little bit more. But you definitely have to be fit because, and I noticed that in the last two years, first of all, without <laughs> having a lot of practices here, just phys- physically training on my own, you don't get to practice actually blocking people and playing against an opponent. And I think that's crucial. And like I haven't you know, had as many blocks lately as I used to because I, like, maybe not as fast anymore and don't have as many people to practice with. So that's important. Just be quick on your feet and also just repetition, repetition, repetition. Like three man is the best way of getting better at hand blocks. And would you say that when you've matched up against the same person, let's say three points in a row, like three defensive points in a row, you're able to potentially beta throw as well, knowing what they want kind of thing? Is that something you kind of focus on as well? You know, it all depends who you're marking. Like, for example, I've marked Thompson McKnight for, I don't know how many years, like over more than 10 years at practices. I don't think I've ever had a hand block on him. Like, I know every trick he has up his sleeve and there's this i just can't i'm not the right matchup for him there's some people who could stop him maybe somebody somebody who's lankier who's bigger or more aggressive but with my way of marking i just can't stop his throws he's your kryptonite there we just talked about hand blocks but what's some advice you would give to people could be in europe could be in canada wherever they are they want to reach out next level they want to be you know the next totally Vasiliev maybe one day so what can they do to get there? Go dance. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, you are most likely crazy in love with Ultimate. Like uh, live and breathe Ultimate. So you are already on that trajectory to become that next great player. My suggestion would be to invest in your fitness. Not because it's going to make you faster or it's going to make you like jump higher or be more athletic, but it's because it will extend your ultimate career i just realized that it's not that that i'm a unique and i'm still playing i have a lot of injuries that i wish i didn't have right now and i could play so much better but because i didn't invest in my fitness back in the day as much injury prevention strengthening uh, your body stretching exactly uh stretching foam rolling whatever it is you need to take care of your body and then it will appreciate later so that would be my biggest advice and second advice would be if you watch Ultimate, if you love watching Ultimate, don't just watch it for just enjoyment of the of the game. Try to like pick out players, especially the ones you like really, really like, and study their game. I find that you will first of all find what style of uh, playing you prefer and then just pick it apart. How does he like to run? How does he like to jump? Or how does she like to uh, lay out? Yeah, I think that will help a lot. All right, advice there from the seasoned veteran, Toli Vasilya there. And you talked just about training right now, so we're going to go into segment two, day-to-day life. So how are you training right now? As of this recording, this will have changed by the time you listen to this episode. Wift if will have made its ruling on if Worlds will happen or before this recording will actually go out. 
So, Tolly, how have you been training just waiting for Ultimate's return, regardless of Worlds? It's just another season. What have you been doing to get ready for it? Fortunately, there are some people here in Vancouver who I can train with. So they're sort of in my bubble. Like when we lift, we always wear masks and um, like have sanitizers and try to be extra careful. I fortunately have um, uh, an outdoor space in the, uh, by my place, like actually part of my my house. And I set up a squat rack there. So we have some plates and weights and uh, uh, elastic bands. So And there's a lot of outdoor space where you can run, trail running, track. And so we do it together. Yeah, I just text you guys and you say like, hey, Live, live tonight, be here in two hours. Uh, I have a program that I follow and that right now we're working on fixing all the injuries and getting the, uh, the strength back and then we'll move on to power and also it will depend on what the schedule for the season is because we, at this point, we don't know what's going to happen but I am an optimist and so I'm training as if I, am, I have a goal in mind. Sweet and also some good advice there if you're listening and along with your daily life of training, you also run a company as well that's for Ultimate players. So can you give a quick spiel about why you started a company for Ultimate players? It's not, you know, it's not a, a jersey company, right? For those in the audience, it's not a jersey company. It's not kind of the Ultimate apparel that, you're, that you may be thinking of. It's more lifestyle apparel, right? Wearing it off the field. So can you talk a little bit about your company, Flatball Collective? Flatball Collective. Woohoo! <laughs> Here starts the commercial, the advertisement yeah. part. Yeah, advertising right here. <laughs> Sponsored by Flabble Collective. So yeah, so Flabble Collective is my brand, my passion project. I started it a few years ago for a few reasons. One is like I enjoy design, I enjoy apparel, and I also thought that I wanted to give back something to the ultimate community that gave me so much over the years. I mean, I'm probably at the end of my career, so... Uh, we don't want to hear that totally. We don't want to hear I mean, that. at some point, but it's getting <laughs> getting there, right? And so I wanted to give back to the community that gave me a lot. And the way, the only way I can is through through this. So I started this. I also thought that there was a niche. There are a lot of great companies that do uniforms, but I thought we're, our community is lacking a brand or level apparel you can wear in everyday life, but that will still allow you to wear your heart on your sleeve and represent your passion without screaming it like, hey, I love Ultimate. No, it's just subtle, stylish, funky way on your apparel, t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies. And so I was thinking about it for a while. It was kind of brewing in my, in my mind. And then I realized, like, how do I make it more, not just about me creating a brand, but doing it collectively? And so I actually met a bunch of, awesome artists and designers from around the world through ultimate community who I then reached out to. And I was like, Hey guys, do you want to design something for this brand that is going to be a collective of ultimate players who also happen to be artists and designers creating this awesome swag that people can wear and be proud of their uh, passion for ultimate. Hence the name, right? Flabble collective. And so, yeah, we have artists from Japan. We have artists from Russia. We'll have one from uh, Mexico, U.S., Canada. I mean, we're talking to more designers, more artists, and hopefully we'll have more people contributing. It's hard because I I still have a final say. And sometimes the designs, in my opinion, are awesome, but I don't think it kind of goes with the style. 
that we're trying to create with for Fable Collective this year or well, last year, and I have to say no, and that's a bummer. And I feel I always feel bad, but I have to learn to, to be better at it. Yeah, but it gives me so much pleasure when I see somebody rocking one of our shirts or somebody messaging me or posting on Instagram wearing our apparel or holding our mug or, or something. First of all, I immediately text or email the person who designed it. It's like, hey, what? look at this. Somebody's wearing your, uh, your design. And yeah, obviously, yeah, it gives me a lot of joy when I see people enjoying our swag. And that is kind of your side hustle though, right, Tolly? Because you have a full-time gig as well out in Vancouver. So that's something you do kind of on the side just so people know. Yeah, it's definitely not profitable. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't pay, pay rent uh, with it. Yeah, breaking even and losing money. But I, I don't care. As long as it's there, people are enjoying it. And sometimes we get some uh, orders in. Friends, family, people from uh, New Zealand, wherever that is, thank you. Yeah, that's true. All around the world wearing, wearing the swag there. Quick shameless plug, if you use code one and only 15 you can get 15% off your order with Flatball Collective. So if you like what Tolly's selling right here, you can head out to the website, flatballcollective.com, use the code, get some cool swag. So Tolly, this is a question I usually like to ask people because it gets you to think forward a little bit. You said you're towards the end of your career. Do you have any more goals that you want to reach? Any more milestones you want to hit? Is there anything there in your career that you're kind of thinking, this is what I still want to do? You've won a world's title, right? Back in 2008. That was a pretty cool experience for you, obviously, winning it in Vancouver, right? So That's, that's correct. That's uh, so far the biggest achievement of my life. Well, one of the most memorable moments of my life when we won worlds uh, in, uh, in Vancouver in 2008. I remember I was crying. Are you crying now there, Tolly? I just need to let the audience know. Are you crying right now? It's, it's windy here. <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's the wind. It's the dust. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I want to compete. I want to, to win, uh, whatever that is. Um, and sorry, when worlds happen, and if I still get to represent our country, I hope to win. Or when I compete for Russia at any other tournament, I also hope to bring home the gold medal or whatever we deserve uh, at that tournament. So I'm, I'm highly comp- competitive. So as long as I'm staying, staying in the sport, I want to win whatever championship or tournament it is. Probably my next goal would be to restart the campaign I had a few years ago called a disc uh, one for one. So we wanted to launch uh, the version 2.0 because the first one was a huge success. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about that totally for the audience? Yeah. So it was in 2014, 15. So I was doing some, uh, some work, like personal work. I wanted to create a campaign that had nothing to do with me and that would contribute to my community, the things that I love and also involve others who would help you do that. And so I decided that back in the day, there was a lot of conflict and going on in Eastern Europe. And I wanted to help in some way, one, one way or another to help people who were suffering from it. And I thought that people, especially youth kids who are watching uh, the two countries fighting and getting angry at their neighbor were again observing it and they were like learning from their from the adults and i i believe that they would in the future 
turn into not so good humans, or at least their way of communicating with their neighbor would not be that good. So I decided that to help them, the only way I knew how uh, was to introduce them to, to Ultimate. And so I started a crowdfunding campaign that was called Disc One for One. And the idea was that we would allow people to buy a, a disc. And for every disc sold, we would send another disc to a kid in Russia or Ukraine. So we ended up selling tons of uh, Frisbees. We had a lot of people from the Ultimate community, especially like big stars from Revolver, Bo, and then Mark Lloyd from, from Goat. A few other like, big names were supporting the campaign. And we raised tons of money, and then we shipped the, all the discs to those two countries. And then volunteers in those two countries would go out to different schools, and they would promote the sport, give out the discs to the be teachers and I had nothing to do with it. I just like launched the campaign, made it happen, and then those people just took it over and we ended up reaching 2,400 kids in both countries like, together. So that was a crazy accomplishment and I want to do it again because I feel like you can only enjoy life when you also contributing to other people's lives. And then you won't even like... In, at the, end of the, at the end of your life, you won't be really be um, proud of it if you just left, uh, lived it for yourself. So um, I, I want to do it again, and I hope I can uh, find some people on the same wavelength and who can help me out with this. Yeah, because you definitely can't do this alone. So those in the audience, if you want to keep updated on that, just, uh, yeah, we'll uh, plug the socials for, for Tolly later, but you can definitely keep updated on that and... and look out for uh, some more crowdfunding campaigns to get Frisbees into to kids' hands and promote the sport and promote peace and unity as well. It sounds like as part of that, right, Tolly? Yeah, you, you learn how to, especially for kids, you learn how to communicate with somebody who you can go in against, right? You, you were capable of stopping, having a conversation, coming and then come with a resolution. Awesome, awesome. And Tolly, we talked a lot about your career just now. And kind of your life. So now we're going to go back into the archives here. Segment three, memorable games. What You want to start with the good stuff or the bad stuff? Uh, let's do the, the bad stuff. All right. So your least favorite game you've ever played in. You've had a long career. So maybe hard just to pick one. But least favorite game you've played. There is one. And I actually barely played in that game, I think. Maybe a couple of points. It was uh, 2012, Canada versus Japan. Yeah, it was super embarrassing. I have my own perspective on that game, but we definitely were not the good guys. It was quite embarrassing. We drank a lot of sake afterwards to kind of drown that memory. Didn't work. Yeah, it's still it's still out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I know uh, the, you know there were apologies given after. We don't have to get too into it, but it seems that the reputations of of the teams or players involved have has changed for the better. And I know that's something that. Um, may always inflict Canada in some ways, but I know Canada's doing a lot in terms of trying to promote positive spirit and just the way they carry themselves at future world tournaments, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know that for men, for for, uh, open teams, it's like Mark Lloyd and uh, Morgan Hibbard kind of leading the way, like making sure that everybody is on top of their spirit, that we represent Canada in the right right way. And it is, it's a tricky thing too, because uh, other countries might have this certain view of Canada just because of that game, even though some of those players aren't on the team anymore. Just even that those moments were just, you know, one-time things. So 
I think that's something to, to think about as well. Uh, not to excuse what happened, of course, but just to also shed some light on on a different perspective of uh, of what happened. And so, that was your least favorite game, Tolly. That was quick. What about your favorite game, though? Again, World's Finals 2008 versus U.S. Underdogs. Hometown, though. You were playing in the home country, though. That was good. Yeah, well, I was living in Toronto back then. So, I, okay. I came there. And that was my second year living in Canada. Right? The, the rules uh, said that you had to live in the country for two years in order to represent the country. And so I barely qualified. I was lucky to play in front of uh, some few risk players in Vancouver playing college to kind of uh, stand out a little bit. And then that's how I made the team. I even got to be on the field during the finals through a couple of passes, one for, for a score. Hey. Yeah, yeah. I, every time, I mean, I watched maybe like three, four times. Every time I see myself throwing into the end zone, I was like, what am I thinking? What a terrible garbage choice of a throw. Was it an assist, though? It was an assist, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it was, it was completed, right? I mean, maybe not the best throw, but... Yeah, and then I remember afterwards, I was, again, I was in tears, and the putting the, had the medal, we parted like animals for the next like 24 hours. I got a phone call from Russia and they are totally, we know what happened. Congratulations. There's a hat tournament, uh, the beach tournament happening in Ukraine. We want you to be there. We're getting you a flight. You're going to be there this weekend. So after like winning world championships, getting that medal, sleeping and showering with that medal, I get on the plane and then fly to Ukraine and then play a hat tournament, party with all my old uh, friends and new friends. And that was like a month of celebration. So the, yeah, that was very memorable. And the second one, uh, my, one of my favorite games is the finals of Paganello. So as I, I mentioned earlier, like my, one of my goals was to put together a team to show that Eastern European Ultimate is awesome and that we can compete with the rest of the world. And we, we put this team together and our objective, our goal was not to be do well but actually just to have a lot of fun and support each other and because as i mentioned earlier soccer is very prevalent in in russia and there's a lot of like bickering and conflict within the team and i wanted to put together a team of really good players who also could be as a group together and have fun and party and i believe we that year we won the party paganello and then we won the final and it was like a crazy game up. We were up by a lot. And then they came back. And I think it was like a double game point. A layout for the score by an Italian who was on our, on our team. And then we had also crazy good looking jerseys that I helped design. So all of this together, that memory was something. And then you were in Italy. You celebrate. You have super cheap, delicious, like, delicious not the right word, but amazing wine and pasta and you celebrate again for the next few days while traveling around in Italy. So yeah, that was very memorable. Yeah, totally. It sounds like those big moments, you're living your best life as uh, the kids say these days, you're living your best life. They're just celebrating, enjoying ultimate. So love to see that enthusiasm and uh, totally. We're going to move to segment four here. We'll do some rapid fire ultimate questions first. So first question is which throw do you prefer your flick or backhand? Definitely backhand. I can't throw flick. I can, 
but it hurts. I injured my elbow so many times. In Russia, it's very popular to play on indoor basketball court. And so you play tournaments. Yeah, European. I've seen that. I've seen that college too, like university tournaments. And I screwed up my elbow so bad that elbow and shoulder, that backhand is so much easier for me. So there's your scouting. There's your scouting. Exactly. If somebody's watching me who ends up marking me, just force me to play. What about hammer or scuba? For the same reason, it's a hammer. Scuba is very much like, like flick or forehand. And um, yeah, I can't really throw it. What about a, a would you rather here? Would you rather drop a pull or drop a catch in the end zone? I've done both. I don't care. <laughs> Equally embarrassing. That's true. What about winning five silver medals at Worlds? Or in your case, one gold medal? <laughs> I mean, I've already won gold medal, so give me another five, five silvers. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I mean, I have one uh, more Worlds in me, and I want it to be golds. So, yeah, I'm choosing nice. that one. Some uh, hot topic questions. Should Ultimate be renamed? I know you, you, Flatball's in your name, so should Ultimate be renamed to Flatball? No, I think it's a good slang word. I think we should keep it that way. I don't know, Altadisc? Flying Disc? I don't know, there's some options. <laughs> yeah, definitely Ultimate is is not the best word for marketing of the sport. Yeah, I think somebody should, should rename it. I don't know what it is, what the word should be, but for better recognition, uh, especially now that we hopefully getting into Olympics, into Olympics at some yeah. point. I think we need the right, the right name, but it can be done right before Olympics. I think people need to get used to it and the community has to accept it. So yeah, I think this would be a good time. What about, you played with refs, you played with observers and game advisors. So should Ultimate overall have referees, like even at the club level, at the world's level? In some version, yes. I don't think it should be a referee who just called mix every call, but there should be some type of observers. The rules of AUDL, in my opinion, could be improved. I love how the pace of the game is so much quicker. And imagine if you the same pace was with regular ultimate games. We're watching worlds with uh, observers who are not necessarily there to control the game, but to make sure that the pace of the game is right. I think that's what's needed. I mean, obviously there's more to it, but yeah, I would enjoy watching and playing that type of ultimate. Especially the calls too, right? Especially you've probably seen some finals where it gets chippy, right? Universe point, too many calls, and then it just kind of slows the game down, right? Yeah, imagine somebody at uh, at Alto World editing that game. Oh, I am. I don't. I feel for that guy cutting out all those like talking and talking and talking to make it like watchable game. It must be a lot. It must be a lot of work. Yeah, and uh, last question here for the ultimate related part: Should ultimate be in the Olympics? Yeah, yeah, I don't think why not. Some people disagree, that's why I ask it. <laughs> I mean, surfing is it in, is in the Olympics, skateboarding, rock climbing, like what's wrong with Ultimate? People love it, people play it, why, why not? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So totally now going to rack your brain here for some non-sports questions. Going to give you a chance to share a meal with three people in the course of human history. They can be living or brought back from the dead. So who are you sharing? To be three? Yeah, what, what number were you thinking? Oh, a one. Okay, one. You can go with one. One person. Just one person that you want to share a meal with. Uh, Richard Branson. Okay, can you tell us why? I read a couple of his books, and I don't know the guy that well. I don't know him personally, but he seems to be the kind of person who lives the life to the fullest. He's not afraid of mistakes. He loves challenging himself, sometimes a bit too far. 
and he's quite successful. He's he accomplishes stuff, but yeah, he just like lives an adventurous, fun life, and I think his brain is so fun to dig into. And uh, I would love to talk to him. And that's why you're only having one person at the meal, so you can really uh, get into his brain there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, if I just if I had more time, I would name another two people that I would uh, want to talk to. If, if that was only uh, one person, that would be him. Sweet. What about you? Mentioned your backyard earlier, so imagine you're putting on the biggest concert in Vancouver. Okay, you got to pick three bands or artists in the world. You, they can be broken up, they can be living, they can be dead, and you got to pick the order too. So this concert's happening in your backyard. They're totally. Who are you picking? Luke Lee from Sweden. To start things off, it's like very mild, like lounge, uh, kind of backyard. Piano bar kind of style? or Not a bar, electronic music. Beautiful uh, female vocals. Then Red Hot Chili Peppers for like the big, strong event. Everybody gets fired up. And, and yeah, I love uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Their music, yeah, that's, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. And then to end things would probably be Odessa. That's electronic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could tell I'm a European. Like, I love dancing and yeah, booms, booms, booms. Not as like dumb, doom, doom, doom. All night long with the right uh, kind of people around you and good tunes. Yeah, I think Odessa would be a good choice. Yeah, nice, nice concert there. A little bit of the mix too, so it's good. And last question here. You can't choose ultimate as the answer. You can pick another sport to play and organization or uh you know position all that kind of stuff so maybe uh or you can do individual sport i know some people like that as well so what would you choose if you can't pick ultimate surfing i'll be a professional uh, surfer have you done it before in real life never surfed in my life and i don't even watch it that that much i mean obviously when you see it you're like wowed by uh how amazing it looks and i also believe that I mean, obviously, I my favorite sports are like soccer and basketball, and I love martial arts, boxing. But their careers are either short or they get brain damaged. Yeah, there's some issues there. Yeah, yeah for sure. Or you are six six eleven, you know, seven feet, and you kind of live life with like a normal person. I have a, a one of the hockey legends, uh, Sadin brothers. Uh, they live in my neighborhood. And every time that he walks by, I could tell that he's trying to hide, you know. So being a player who not is not even on Vancouver Canucks anymore, but he is like trying to escape from so people no people don't notice him. People will recognize him though for sure. Sadin twins were very popular in Vancouver. People in Vancouver know him, and that's why he's like still hiding because he's like a celebrity. And if you're a basketball player and you're seven feet, you can't go anywhere. You can't hide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like if you're a surfer, first of all, I believe they get into this type of flow zone where they're like just so into it that it's not about really competing it's about just like being one with the wave or whatever it is it's almost like art but in the ocean kind of thing if you think about it so to me ultimate is some sort of meditation this is the reason why i still love going to practices uh still love competing still love playing is because when i show up at the field and put my cleats on and start throwing and running everything else just doesn't exist it's just like i'm in this uh, flow zone i love it yeah that's why i still play and so i think surfing is kind of similar in that way just looks cooler <laughs> you need some of the i know some of the servers have the long flowing locks so i'm not sure uh what your hairstyle would <laughs> what's his name i think it was like slater state 
he's like he's been like a very he doesn't win as much anymore he's he's a big surfer a big, okay. big businessman in surfing community yeah but he is a, a legend in surfing we're twins except his eyes are more beautiful all right totally appreciate you coming all the way from vancouver onto the podcast here virtually of course but thank you for coming on the podcast if our audience wants to find out about you and your company, Flatball Collective, and the crowdfunding campaign. Can you plug all that stuff there right now? And then I'll make sure to put it in the show description. So if you want to check that out, you can head to the show description and get all that info. Okay, so Instagram for myself is uh, tall, T-O-L-L-18. Flatball Collective on Instagram is flatball underscore collective. And if you want to check out our crowdfunding campaign, Disc One for One, just type in disc word one, number four, word one on indiegogo.com and then you'll find our our page and all that are you still accepting donations now or, or you're saying that for version two this is just to check out because there's a lot of footage and photos of kids receiving those discs i believe like i still sometimes go back and check it out because i think it's uh, quite inspiring so mm. i suggest people to check it out and uh, also like if you want to help in the, with the future campaign reach out um, yeah yeah, you can definitely uh, DM Tolly there on Instagram or reach out to the, or check out the website as well to see what they've done before. So I'll make sure to leave that in the show description. Tolly, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Great conversation. Learned a lot. I learned how to do potentially more hand blocks. Learned about your nickname there when you came to Canada. So lots of good stuff there. Thanks for coming on. I hope you cut it out. Hey, man, it was a pleasure. It was fun. I hope I didn't talk too much because uh, you were asking great questions and I would just wanted to talk forever because it would bring up so many good memories. So shout out to you. You're fucking awesome. You're a legend. I appreciate you. And also it's just so cool that there are podcasts like, uh, like one and only because there are so many people who want to get better, who want to mo- learn more about ultimate and want to know more about people who they see on the field. Like I want to know what uh, Dylan Fritchild's morning routine is. I want to know what uh, Davide, how he became such a, powerhouse in um european ultimate and what he does he do what does, what does he do for a living so all this uh, stuff is awesome and i'm really happy that uh, you have this podcast i hope it grows and uh, best of luck to you thanks for listening keep an eye out for the next episode where i interview dina ellie melick ulti world's 2019 female college player of the year and 2019 usa ultimate women's college champion with the university of san diego dragon coalition In this interview, Dina shares about the rise of the UCSD program and the beginnings of her ultimate career, as well as the amazing ending to her college career when she won a national championship. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports, and you can see some of my commenting highlights on YouTube at Juan and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.